Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. The all-new Entree Architect Profit Course is here. A comprehensive seven-part self-directed online training program teaching financial management to busy architects. Is money getting in the way of you being the best architect you can be? Learn more and register today at entrearchitect.com slash profit course. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 268, and this week I'm with architect Jennifer Kretschmer, and we're talking about how to thrive with a virtual office as a small firm architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. Gusto. Gusto is refreshingly easy payroll benefits and HR for the modern small business like ours. And FreshBooks the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Jennifer Kretschmer, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Great to be here, Mark. It's good to have you back. Um, Let me just remind people who you are. Jennifer founded the firm J. Kretschmer Architecture and Art in 2003. The firm specializes in small project delivery, primarily residential projects under 5,000 square feet and commercial projects under 10,000 square feet, so small projects 
uh, typically high end. Um, Jennifer is licensed in California and a graduate of Cal, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, right? That's how you say that, right? I want to make sure I get that right because I know locals are a little t- picky on how you pronounce that. Uh, she's a member of the AIA, uh, where she served at the local and state board of directors and is currently the chairperson of the AIA Silicon Valley uh, CRAN, uh, CRAN Group, which is the Custom Residential Architect Network, one of my favorite organizations inside or out of the AIA. Um, CRAN is a great organization, so I'm, thank you for, for organizing that over at the uh, AIA Silicon Valley. Um, and if you hear her voice and it sounds familiar, it's probably because she was not here she was here not too long ago about, and we're talking about uh, parental leave in architecture in a roundtable discussion back in episode 247. So if you're interested in that, go check out that episode. We'll put that on the show notes. Um, and that's where I learned how she practices. She practices as a uh, virtual office. So that's a topic that so many architects are discussing sort of hoping to transition from that brick and mortar office back to a virtual office based online using online tools and communication systems and all those good things that we have access to today. This is a pretty new phenomena, a new way of practicing. In the last 10 years or so, really, the tools on the internet have become uh, usable. They're at the level that we can use them. And so I asked Jennifer to come back because she's practicing that way successfully, and I just wanted to have that conversation uh, and share it with you. So, Jennifer, I shared a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'd love for you to sort of dive a little bit deeper and tell us your origin story. Uh, Go back to where you discovered architecture and what inspired you to become an architect and share that story to where you find yourself today. Okay, thank you, Mark. Thank you for that great introduction. Um, my origin story begins pretty young, as a lot of architects do. I always worked and played with blocks and, and was an artist. I liked to paint. And um, I suddenly fell into kind of learning about architecture when my father decided to take an architecture modeling class at, uh, at a local junior college for fun. He was actually building models for railroads. Oh, that's <laughs> Rail, cool. Toy, yeah. toy railroads. Yep. Um, and I was so intrigued by what he was doing. I asked him to take me to his class. So I was about 12 years old and I went to the college and watched him do this modeling class. And after that, I took drafting classes and I was completely hooked, went, you know, discovered what are the best colleges and universities near me. And essentially Cal Poly was the only school I applied for because at the time it was number one and it may still be number one, (laughs) but, uh, and, uh, so that's sort of how I got started in, in architecture. Um, when I decided to open my own firm, um, after working a number of years, uh, for several different architects, um, I had chosen to do that as a method of gaining more freedom and also being able to choose my own projects. And soon after I started my firm, I actually had my first child. So um, being able to have that flexibility of choosing the projects that I worked on, um, as well as, you know, how many I worked on and the times that I worked on was very beneficial in being a new mom. And shortly after that, I hired my first remote worker. So this was about 2005. Um, This person was someone who had worked with me at another architecture firm. 
and he still works uh, with me up to this day. Um, and uh, and he, he also works for other architects and uh, works remotely for um, the other architects as well. Um, last year, uh, as um, the firm began to grow in revenue and more projects came in, um, instead of saying no, now that my children are older, I have more time, um, and I began taking on those projects as well as taking on more remote workers, including workers outside of the state of California. Um, so I now have uh, uh, workers um, in other states as well. That's sort of uh, where we're at today. So 2005, you started remotely. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a um, long time. I said 10 years the tools have been here, and that's longer than 10 years ago. And so uh, you've been doing it a long time. Yes, I've been doing it for a while. Um, uh, at that time, I actually was still renting an office. Um, and at about, you know, when the recession hit in 2008, uh, I said, you know what, I'm not paying for an office anymore. I moved uh, the um, the studio, as I call it, um, into the back of my garage, very Silicon Valley style. Yeah. Um, and I have been operating from the back of the garage um, since then. Uh, I have remodeled the garage, so um, what you... <laughs> Uh, so it's much nicer now, and I um, actually is that the space a, that you're it, in now? It is. It is. I have I a would... kitchen and a bathroom here, and you know, if you look behind me, Mark, because you can see uh, yeah. my video, you can see um, it does look like an architecture firm. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It looks it looks like an architecture office. Yep. I I would have never guessed that was your garage. <laughs> it is. I remodeled that in uh, 2015 to get it to this point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's exciting. So, so two thousand five, the 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 were the internet tool was the internet available? I know the internet was available in two thousand five, but but yeah. the, were the tools? Was it a struggle? That's the question. Was it a struggle to sort of go remote and use the tools on the internet in two thousand five to do what you need to do efficiently? It wasn't as much of a struggle as you might think, and this is where I would tell. Um, even though the technology is what makes it incredibly useful today to be able to do remote working, um, even if you just have a telephone um, and uh, a telephone. way of emailing what's a, what's a files back and exactly that's, <laughs> that's how we were doing it with telephone and regular regular email. Right. Um, yeah. But it does take um, a certain kind of person to be able to do that. You you do need to have very good verbal communication skills and need to be able to speak graphically um, about, you know, speak verbal, verbally about graphic concepts um, if you're not being able to use video conferencing. Um, and you also need to have the reliability of, of people working um, that do not need to be um, supervised. They can work completely independently and have the skills to be able to do that. So when I brought on my first person, um, he'd, he'd been working in the field already for 20 years. Um, and I met him basically when I was fresh out of college as he was working remotely for um, another firm uh, at that time. Um, and we didn't even have email <laughs> when he was working remotely for this other architect. 
Um, uh, so, but we were still, we were already in CAD. CAD was uh, primary to making this happen. Um, if you're still hand drafting, it's, it's very difficult to share uh, hand drafted files. But, right, right. And I know there's some people out there still doing that. Yeah, yeah. In order to have a remote firm hand drafting, the United States Post Office would have to be involved in that. Or, or UPS or FedEx, however you want to transfer them. But there's going to be a lot of lag between revisions. <laughs> exactly. And also back then in, in 2005 or even earlier than that, it was important that the remote workers were at least able to drive to your office within, uh, you know, an hour or so. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, there would be times when you had to have face-to-face -face conversations. And therefore, remote workers out of the state or even much further out of the area would not have worked. Yeah. So what does your team look like today? I have a team of about five other people. Um, almost all of them are licensed architects, um, and they pick and choose the projects that they want that I have available. Um, and they also pick and choose the number of hours they would like to work in any given month. So they basically control the time and the schedule and the projects that they want to work on. I just put up uh, we have a task management system. I use Podio, um, which is a Citrix product, um, but there's plenty of task management softwares out there. Um, I put up on our um, Podio the projects that are available, and I list them as uh, ready to assign so that anyone uh, knows if they're ready for another project, they can just go into our project list and see that it's ready to assign and then read things like the scope of work, the scale of work, how many hours are anticipated. All of that is all just in one uh, area available to them, no matter where they're located. How do you manage, because that sounds very flexible, and which is probably very appealing to the people working with you, but how, how do you manage the deadlines for those projects? And the schedule. Yes. Um, everyone knows uh, what, client, what the clients are expecting. What are the client's expectations as far as deadlines? Um, and there are expectations that need to be met. Um, they need to be able to work independently and, and make those deadlines. Otherwise, they know that I might not use them for another project or a project that has, has a deadline. So it really does fall upon the worker to be able to accomplish the tasks that and the expectations. Um, but, you know, I can't necessarily, you know, there are, when you first try a new worker out, you're, there are unknowns as far as how well they're going to work or how fast they're going to work. So there is um, some lag time to get that relationship going and understanding how that new person works. Um, so I always, with a new person, I always start them on a very, very small project um, that ha doesn't have significant time constraints so that we can see how we work together on that first project. And as a way of, of once we get that rolling, once we see how that person works, then uh, I assign them or I let them go do choose other projects that are, are bigger. You know, if someone picks a project that I don't think that they're going to be able to handle, we will have a discussion about that. So just like any, you would do this sure. in any office as well. 
Yeah, it sounds very much like a, a you know a brick and mortar office. It's just that you know they're out working from their own studios, and you're working from your studio. And um, because if you were in a big office with a bunch of drafting boards or work table workstations, um, and there's new projects come in, you know, you would have this meeting and say, okay, who's going to be assigned this next project? And they would, you know, you would either assign it or you would have a system of selection, and you do the same thing. So exactly. How long exactly. does it take for you to bring on a new person? Um, the second person came on about 2014. Yes, it was exactly 2014. Um, with the recession and with the fact that I choose my own projects and had flexibility, I had dialed back a lot. Like I mentioned, I, I got rid of the uh, paid office um, and only took on projects that um, were interesting to me. Um, otherwise, I spent a lot of time um, doing artwork and marketing my, my paintings, basically. Um, and then once things began to pick up and I didn't feel like I was uh, uh, competing so much with a lot of my peers, um, that's when uh, I brought on more people and work better work was coming in, more work was coming in. So even though there was a recession, I was saying no a lot um, rather than saying yes. Um, and that was actually a good time for me to learn uh, to say no, because prior to the recession, I never said no on a project. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when you're, um, when you're selecting those projects, what are you, are you looking for specific types of projects and specific types of people that sort of fit within your business model or does not not so matter matter so much yes for me i would say people is number one um i have project types that we do focus on we focus on uh residential custom single family residential remodels additions new homes rebuilds um there are significant uh uh jurisdictional requirements here in the Silicon Valley, maybe more than some other communities, um, where even a next door neighbor can put an end to a project. Um, so uh, the, the reviews that are necessary um, are the projects that we, uh, we focus on. We're very good at getting approvals in our local area um, through good design. Uh, so those are the types of projects that, that we pick. But I do start with the person first. If, if it's somebody that I feel that is not going to work out, we're, they're going to be difficult, they're, they're not going to be on board with the, the ideas of our design, they have unreasonable expectations about budget, uh, those are no's. Right, right. And, that's, and those are sort of red flags that you need to – look for whether it's remote or, you know, a standard brick and mortar office when you're picking your clients, you know, Absolutely. through experience and intuition, you learn to, to listen to your gut often and, uh, and sort of look for those red flags. And when there are red flags, you sort of pick other projects. Um, Absolutely. And, and we can do that now. There's a lot of work in the Bay area right now. Yeah. And, and I think that, Working, does actually do your clients know that you're working remotely? Do they know your model, or does do they not know that? Most of my clients don't ever see the re remote model. They know that I have people working for me. They know that there right. are other people working on their projects, but they rarely know who they are 
or especially if there's someone out of state, they're never going to see them. Yeah. If they're one of the people who are local to me, they might see them when they come out and help us uh, if we're doing a remodel measure um, and uh, might meet them a couple times during some design meetings. Um, I do a lot of the design myself, um, and that's why it's also important that you all remain on the same CAD package um, because I have tried using multiple CAD packages and it, it was too difficult to manage um, for me at least uh, because I do still like to get my hands into the CAD and, uh, and BIM and create the models. Um, but I do have projects where because I have someone who has proven to be talented and an exceptional worker, uh, then they get to start designing. So you're doing most of the design until you sort of feel comfortable that someone else can take over uh, that role, and then they're basically doing production and, and the rest of it. Absolutely, yes. So are yes. you doing all of the client face work, the one-on-one -on -one work with clients? I do still do a, my client meetings one-on-one. -on -one. All the projects are located here within within uh, 30 miles of my location, Um and the clients are also located that way. I have had requests for clients who live from out of state or out of country um, but have projects here um, to do uh, virtual conferencing, um, but we haven't actually gotten to that model yet. Um, but I do think it's based on, I mean, there, again, the technology and like we're having our conversation right now, it's very easy to do that. And I, we use that with, um, I use that with my remote workers all the time. We have conversations just like you and I are having. We're able to use the technology to share our screens um, so that we can talk about uh, uh, design issues or structural issues um, between what we're, you know, what we're seeing on the drawings um, at the same time looking at the drawing. Yeah, I, I think at this point, the tools are no longer the barrier to, to going remotely yeah. to, to this virtual model, um, where, you know, a few years ago, that may have been a barrier because they just, you know, the, the communication capabilities of having a, you know, a one-on-one, -on -one, a consistent one-on-one -on -one video conference call without some sort of interruption where the technology fails, um, it very rarely fails this today. Um, and, and the collaboration tools that we have where it's instant uploads and instant syncing, um, it, the technology is no, really no longer the barrier. Um, right. I would, I would say that the barrier to this model today is probably the same. One of the same barriers as back in 2005 is communication. Um, is, is how do you set up that communication system? Cause it absolutely has to be a system. Um, that you are consistently in touch with your team and the team is consistently in touch with you, that you know what they're doing and, you, and there's lots of trust involved because the trust is a, another uh, important ingredient in a remote situation. Um, so what is your schedule like? What does is, what is that communication system look like on your end to make sure that at the end of the day, the projects are at their highest level of quality and the communication uh, and the, you know, the deadlines are there and, and, and how do you communicate with your team? Yeah, so I have regularly scheduled appointments with um, team members throughout the week. So um, usually I meet with uh, or talk with them at least once a week. Um, if they're doing a long production time where I'm not going to 
have anything from them for maybe four weeks. We'll probably talk at the halfway point. Um, and so maybe we might have spread out to two weeks. But we do regularly schedule. Every time we meet, we make sure we set up a time for the next time we're going to talk um, and have, a, have a, a meeting about the project. So it's very important to be consistent with that. Um, it's also very important to be available um, to the remote workers. If an issue comes up, you have to have a way set up for them to get a hold of you immediately, either through texting or email or immediately FaceTime you. Um, uh, but whatever it is, is something that's consistent that they know I can immediately text you, for example. I like to use texting for that. If it's an emergency, text me, um, tell me that you need, and then we will determine through text whether we need to have a video conference or whether we can just chat back and forth on the phone. Um, so being consistent with that. I think the other thing, too, that's really important in setting up a virtual office is that, it, and this whole remote working, is that the firm owner has to have a new mindset for the, the model of their company. Um, when we talk about architecture firms, in our mind, we vision that location that is a firm. We've, we have that firm office in our mind. The new mindset is that your firm isn't a place anymore. It's a group of people brought together to accomplish great projects. So it's the people now. The firm is the people, not the place. And as soon as you realize that it is the people that makes it come together, you will find ways to make that connection happen and those communications work and to, in order to accomplish those great projects. That, and that is such an excellent distinction. It's so important, that distinction between a place and the people. Um, that today with a remote studio, it's, it's anywhere right? It's, it, it's yeah. all about the people uh, coming together in some way, whether they're sitting in an office with you or whether they're sitting in their own offices and have that connection back to you through the internet. Um, it's about the people that make up the office. Um, and that's, that's a very important mindset shift. Um, and, and, exactly. and because I think that people who are used to the physical office and who haven't experienced the virtual environment, um, they don't really understand how can you possibly replicate this on the internet through a computer. And it's not about replicating this, the office. You're not trying to replicate the office. You're trying to work and communicate with people and have people collaborate with you on completing these projects. And so it doesn't matter where they are doing that um, as long as they have the communication tools and the systems to get to have that one-on-one that -on -one conversation. Um, I wanted to just- Absolutely. I, I also wanted to just um, add one other piece to the to the, to the daily one-on-one -on -one communication, in addition to um, texting and, and emails or whatever we need to do, Slack is a great tool for that. Um, that's what, what, yeah. what we use. We've actually replaced email and texting with Slack because Slack will give you those same notifications that, that, um, that texting will. It records, you know, gives you a, a record of all of your communication, so it's easy to search. Um, it's a great tool for that. I actually use Slack for five different... Um, uh, I have five different workspaces in Slack for different things I'm doing. Uh, one being mm -hmm. the architecture studio, and it works really, really well. Uh, and there's a free yeah. free version of it, and so it's uh, you know it's a free tool. Yeah, and there's a a, a mobile app for it too. So, yeah. uh, and that and that's the the whole ability to use mobile tools, mobile phones, yeah. tablets, 
that's changed the environment completely because I can be anywhere and be able to communicate with my team, be able to communicate with a client. I, the other last week, my kids were on spring break. And in the middle of the week, I said, let's take the dog to Monterey. Kids and dogs just enjoy our time at the beach. And while the kids were running around on the beach, the dog was running around on the beach. I got a few texts. I sat there leaning on the beach and answered some questions. Yeah. A client called me, talked to them on the phone. I got a drawing from one of my workers. I redlined it on the phone, emailed it back, and I was in on the beach still enjoying the, the environment. Um, so, uh, you know, the beach isn't the most practical place <laughs> right. because yep. of the sand. Yep. But I'm just saying that as soon as you have those tools in place, you will find yourself being able to work in other environments. And it won't feel like you're taking a break from your your vacation to work, you know, which sounds like a horrible thing. Oh, my God, I'm taking taking a break from my, my wonderful vacation. No, it just happens and you move on and you still enjoy the environment that you're in. Yeah, that that work-life integration, it's not really a balance. It's that integration of your firm and your family um, that this this Absolutely. model allows you to do that at a very high level and as high of a level as you want, which actually leads to some limits and some boundaries. How do you set limits for yourself um, on this model? Because you literally can be as flexible as you want. You could work from the beach every day if you wanted to. Um, it would technically that would work, but it doesn't really work. And so, um, what are some limits that you've set for yourself to make sure that you're not working 24 hours a day, um, and taking time away from your family or allowing your family to sort of interrupt your work time? How do you keep these things separate and balanced? You need to set your time boundaries and you need to stick with them. Um, I, that was a big problem for me when I first started my firm. Yeah. I would come up with an idea after I'd gone to bed, and I'd get up and go go to the computer at 3 o'clock in the morning. So early on as a firm owner, uh, I set these boundaries. I set that my firm is open from 9 to 6. Clients can call me from 9 to 6, Monday through Friday. If they call me or try to t contact me on the weekend, I determine whether it's an emergency or not, and and if, if it's not an emergency, they don't hear from me until Monday. And I make those boundaries clear with the clients um, as well as my workers. Um, since now I'm working with workers that are out of the area, I let them set their own boundaries. But as far as when we set discussions, we try to set them in a time frame that is between that 9 to 6 that works with their time zone. So that was a little difficult when I had somebody in Japan for a while, um, but he was perfectly okay with, yeah, I'll get up at four in the morning and we'll have a talk or something, you know, which is like yeah. at the end of my day. Um, so, but I set those boundaries and you got to stick with them. Yeah. You got to, you got to stick with them. So it, it, it's again, the mindset, my, my firm is not a place. But my firm does have office hours from nine to six, Monday through Friday, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that takes a lot of discipline to uh, to yeah. do that. You you need to create those systems, which everything about this model 
based is based on systems, whether it's communication systems or scheduling system, you have to have some sort of structure for this thing to hold on to. Um, The physical office sometimes lends that structure to you because it's a physical office. It's, you know, you're showing up at a certain hour and you're leaving in a certain hour. And so there's that you walk out the door and when you walk past that threshold, your day is over. And when there's no longer a building that sort of separates the work and the family time, you need to set those boundaries and create those thresholds for yourself. Um, and so that absolutely. takes some, some discipline. It absolutely takes expectation management for everybody involved, whether it's your team or your clients. They need to know what is expected that, you know, nine to six is when you can communicate with me. If you can try to send me a text at eight o'clock, you may not get a response from me until the next morning at nine o'clock when you open the studio again. Um, and so those limits and those boundaries are really important and communicating those expectations is really, really important. We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our friends, our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and FreshBooks. It's spring, it's finally spring, which means it's time for growth and renewal and adjustment. But we're not just talking about your failed New Year's resolutions, we're talking about building products. Manufacturers are removing and adjusting and adding products to their catalogs to meet the standards of an evolving industry. And that means your old CAD, your old BIM, and your old specifications may just need some updating. Well, luckily, RCAT's got you covered. They work directly with manufacturers to get their newest information online so you know you're getting the latest and the greatest building product information every time you go to RCAT's. And you know, the best part of this whole thing with RCAT is that all the data is free for you to browse and download. You don't even have to register. You don't even have to give them your email address. So check out RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com, R-C-A-T dot com. And tell them that Entree Architect sent you the next time you need the latest building product information. Payroll and benefits are hard. Especially when you're a small business like us, you don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers, they're just not built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses like ours. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get it right from the start. You no longer have to be a big company to get treated with great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show here at Entree Architect, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash G-U-S-T-O and claim your free three months of payroll processing. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. The same goes for tracking time, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's fast and it's easy. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is a phone call or an email away. And if you ever have second thoughts, 
no worries. On top of our free trial for our Entree Architect listeners, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. So give FreshBooks a try today. It's free for 30 days. Just visit EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks and let them know that we sent you Entree Architect. Put that in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. RCAT, Gusto, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about how you started back in 2005 working remotely, and you were saying how you, you were a young mom and you had these young kids. And how do you think that um, this model has led you to where you are today? Because you're a very successful architect today in, in, in working in Silicon Valley, doing custom residential work. Do you think that this model has lend, lended itself to allowing you to get to the level in the profession that you have gotten to um, as a working mom? Um, do you think this model has contributed to it? Do you think you would be at the same level that you are today if you didn't have the ability to work the way that you wanted to work? Mark, this is a great question, and it is something I think about a lot, especially with the um, the context of the missing 32%, which is the concept that 32% um, of women who have graduated from architecture school have now left the pr profession, right. and why have they left the profession? I think um, when I started my firm, or when I put the idea of my firm, uh, it, you know, going. Um, I wasn't even thinking about children at the time. Um, but as I, you know, I became pregnant while basically while I was studying for my um, California supplemental exam. Um, so technically the firm didn't open until my son was three months old. And I don't think that I would have been able to be as successful as a mom and as a successful as an architect if I wasn't able to make my own schedule and choose my own projects. Um, it is difficult to start a firm. There's a whole nother layer of business practice that I love business and I love the business practice. I've always been interested in that. Um, so it does take a person who likes business, um, to actually start your own firm. And we've discussed this before on your podcast, but, um, but I don't think I would have been as successful had I not been able to make my own projects and make my own schedule um, because being a parent and being there for my children is actually my number one priority. Um, and then comes architecture. And unfortunately, a lot of firms models, and I have been in interviews when I was uh, just fresh out of school where I said I have a life outside of architecture and the principal actually said to me then you wouldn't work in this firm because we only want dedicated architects <laughs> that is a yeah. mindset that should not even exist anymore in this day and age it's not just like you said work-life balance and this is true for dads too i mean to be completely frank and honest with you my husband has no is no longer working anymore my firm has gotten to a level where he felt comfortable that he was not enjoying his work. He was not 
enjoying the day-to-day grind, and he said, you're making enough money. Are you okay if I stay home and take care of the kids and you push your business further? And I said, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so actually now, um, and and that's actually when we remodeled this garage. (laughs) So it looks like a real firm because I do have clients come here. I do have another place where I take clients too, and we can talk about that in a minute. But this subject of of being able to have not just a work-life balance, but work-life integration is very important and very key to, to my philosophy. Yeah, and, and we, we dove very deep on that last episode on that topic of, of parental leave and, and parents working in firms and what firms can do to improve that environment. Um, and and I, think, I think you agree, Jennifer, that this model, this virtual model, um, is the future of architecture. That, that um, um, And I'll let you decide whether you agree on that with that or not. But I, I think that this model is the future. I think that... Um, new firms that are starting up from young architects, they will use this model intuitively um, and, and you know, it'll be just the way they do it because they're using these tools already. It just makes sense to do this. Um, but many brick and mortar studios will also be shifting to this model because of the expense savings that you end up. When we moved from our brick and mortar studio to our remote model, we saved $5,000 a month. And so it was a significant saving. It was like having a $5,000 a month raise for the business, mm-hmm. you know, $5,000 more uh, on the bottom line because it just cuts out $5,000 worth of expenses. And so um, that's part of the future. And then I think big, large firms are also going to have to shift to this model because the workforce is going to demand it, that the, that the way our society is shifting because of the access to these tools, as the younger generations come up through the profession, they're going to expect to have that flexibility and, and, and to be able to work where they want and when they want. And if the large firms don't flex and accommodate that, those large firms are going to go away because those younger generations are going to come up and take over. And so what, is your, yeah. what are your thoughts on, on how the, the model affects the profession overall. Yes, um, I think this is true of, of, like you said, of our entire culture, um, that it's not just architecture, it's everybody is moving right. towards remote working, but, and maybe architecture is like the, the, the biggest resistor, um, because Which is traditional, that, traditional in architecture. Tradition, there's this graphic thing that you feel like when you're at a drawing, you all have to huddle around the drawing, you know, and, and so I do think we're kind of behind the times, but it is the future. Remote working is absolutely the future. Um, we need to be able to be more versatile in that way. Um, if you feel like you really need to have that whole office look or that office environment, one of the things that I do when I don't feel comfortable having a client come to my home um, or this studio, um, especially since, to be honest, the studio isn't 100% uh, ADA compliant. <laughs> I mean, I, I put in this screen and I put the, the lip up too high and now I can't get a wheelchair in that door. So I actually belong to a co-working space. Mm-hmm. Um, a co-working space is you know, monitored or, or owned by some other entity, some other group, and they, you get a membership to come to this place and be able to work. And the space has desks. 
it has an open area. It has a kitchen. It has, you know, nice restrooms. It has conference rooms. The conference rooms are the best part for me. I can schedule online anytime I want to set up a, a reserve for a, a conference room, reserve a conference room, and have a client meet me there or have my team meet me there if we want to have a face-to-face meeting. And it, has, it has the ability to do video conferencing. It has the, 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 the higher-end system, has a giant screen. Everything's all available to me, and it looks very professional. It even has a concierge. So when someone comes to the door, they answer the door and said, oh, are you here to see Jennifer? Would you like a cup of coffee? Right? right, and that concierge receptionist gives you that that whole environment. So if you feel like you need that place, that's a really affordable way to go. Um, and then you only utilize that when you need it. And and so um, I I highly recommend uh, you know if if you can't envision yourself having clients come to your place, um, it, you know. I had them come to my dining room at one time because the garage was so overloaded with drawings. Um, but if you don't feel comfortable doing that, a co-working space is a great way to go. Yeah, that's a great piece of the model. That that Because that's actually even better than a, a dedicated office because of all of those perks that come along with it. That the, when the client shows up, they feel really important because they're the people who are running that that co-working space are trained to make those people feel that way. And which is something that you probably wouldn't have at your own architecture studio, um, your, your own brick and mortar office, you would, you know, you wouldn't have that. And so that, you know, you have coffee ready, you have a nice desk and you have a nice, a nice conference room. It's a great piece to the model um, and not even mm-hmm. something that really needs to be an option or, or, you know, as a substitute for something else. It's a great piece to add to the model because it actually is even better than having a brick and mortar space and less expensive. Yeah. Absolutely. There are some days when I feel like there's too many distractions going on in my home. I just take my laptop and head over to the co-working space. I get so much work done because nobody bothers me there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a great a great idea. Um, let's. I'm going to wrap up with one last question. Actually, before the final question that I ask everybody, I have one more question um, about your model. Um, is is about the scalability. The way you've specifically set up your firm with your remote team, and they're all practicing architects. They know what they're doing. They pick their own projects. You have your your system set up on Podio. Um, that sounds very scalable. Like you could get as big as you want with that model because all you do is bring on more qualified remote workers and add them to the Podio team and as long as you can manage those people and the and the and the one-on-one client contact work, you can build a pretty large firm with the model that you've set up. Yes, I agree. I do think you can do that. And and the key is whether you can manage the people. Um, I I feel like um, maybe three more people will be my own personal limit. In which case, then I have to decide how am I going to tier that. Am I going to now start using some of the people um, who are local to me um, and have been with me for a long time and give them more responsibilities to manage remote workers? You know, but if you have whatever, again, it's back to systems, right? Right. If you can work out your model um, and just like any other business plan, if you have your, your chart, your flow chart of who's at the top, your hierarchy chart, right? Um, and, and positions, who's what positions, 
Um, a lot of firms around here like to do the studio model. They have the, the residential studio, and there's three architects in the residential studio, and they have two managers below them. If you can take that model and and make it work within the, the, the technology that you have, you could do an entire office remotely, and it really doesn't matter the size. It's Again, it's all back to the people. It all comes back to the people, yeah. I, I mean, there are companies, I, I don't know architecture firms that are, are that big, but there are, there are tech companies that are all virtual. I mean, um, WordPress, the company that runs WordPress, uh, Automatic, is a, a virtual, 100% virtual corporation. And they have hundreds, I don't even, maybe even thousands of employees. And none of them have it. There's no physical, you know, headquarters uh, other than some administrative stuff. And so it can, it can be 100% virtual. Um, so it's fascinating to me. And, and Jennifer, I think y- you and I can have this conversation for hours um, because we can get into every little nook and cranny. And yeah. I can tell that you're as yeah. passionate about it as I am. Uh, but we're up against our time here. And so I want to okay. ask you our final question. And I'd love to have you come back and continue talking business because I love talking business. And so anytime you want to come back, you're welcome. Um, before, sure, you. be, before we wrap up, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? You know, I have heard so many great answers on, to this question on the show. Um, so I'm going to focus along the line of our discussion today I think that if your firm has yet to explore remote working, um, you need to begin to use and test out the new technology, both with software and hard, uh, hardware, within your current office structure. And as you feel confident with using those the technology, um, then you can begin sending out your remote workers and transition to a virtual office and be able to get rid of that rent. <laughs> That's, that's so, I mean, that's exactly right. It's, it's about taking baby steps, you know, because I think the thing that, that will keep people from moving to this model, much like everything that we do in order to get to where we want to go is fear. There's, there's, there's the fear factor of committing to this model to leave my office space in Pleasantville, New York, and move into a home office and send my workers off to their own space. It was scary. It's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know how my clients are going to feel about this. And so it, you have to get past that fear. And the best way to, to progress and to get past fear in, at any level for any, anything is to take baby steps. So to take one baby little step, take one technology and try it on for size, hire one remote worker to do one small project, see how it goes. And if it works, then grow it, make it a little bit bigger and take another step and another step and another step. And eventually you'll have a firm like Jennifer's that is fully remote doing the work that she wants to do when she wants to do it, living the life she wants to live. And so thank you for sharing that, that, um, that, that, uh, lesson, but also thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. So you are listening to episode 268. So that's the link to share if you want to share this with a friend. I think this is a great episode if you're considering a virtual office or you have a friend who might be considering a virtual office. I think virtual offices and virtual studios, I think this virtual environment for creatives and architects like us, it's the future. I really do. I think that 
that as new firms are starting, they're going to start as virtual offices. So you may be on the verge of a virtual office. And so this is the episode that you want to reference again and again. And so this is episode 268, entrearchitect.com slash episode 268. So share it in your favorites and then go share it with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 268. And go check out the Entree Architect Profit Course, a brand new, all new profit course built on, it's built for busy architects like you. You know, if, you, if you're struggling with anything in your business, whether you're struggling with marketing or sales or building a team uh, or time, all of it is, I, I would say, is probably because you're not making enough profit. There's probably, you're probably, you haven't built a financial management system that works for your firm. And if you do that, that lays the foundation for everything else to be built upon it. And so once you have your money in order and you understand how the money comes into your firm and how your money leaves your firm um, and how to plan for profit, uh, everything else changes. Everything else gets easier. Everything uh, starts to, to, to run smoother. And so therefore you can start being the architect that you want it to be. And so we've built a course that helps you do that. It's based on the P2P financial management system uh, developed by Steve Wintner, the author of uh, Financial Management for Design Professionals. Um, he has collaborated with Entree Architect to develop this course. It's based on the information that we taught in the workshop not long ago. Um, but the workshop uh, was it was a five-week program where you had to show up at a specific time and a, and a specific day. We've taken all of that content. We've pre-recorded it for you for your convenience to be able to learn that same content um, and even more content because it's the complete uh, P2P system. Uh, it's all there for you, waiting for you to be able to, to schedule it on your time to watch these videos. The videos are... are relatively short. They range from like five minutes to 30 minutes, but most of them are in that 12 to 15 minute range. So this is something you can do every day at lunchtime. I watch a video, do a little bit of the homework um, and get the entire course done in two weeks on your time. So maybe before you go to bed, maybe when you first wake up in the morning, maybe at lunchtime. That's why we built this course. You can go check it out right now at entrearchitect.com slash profit course, entrearchitect.com slash profit course. It will give you everything you need to build a financial management system for your small firm. And if you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you, my friend, are an entree architect. And I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.